Today's scripture reading comes from 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 12 through chapter 4, verse 2. And I'm reading from the New International Version. Therefore, since we have such a hope, we are very bold. We are not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face to keep the Israelites from gazing at it while the radiance was fading away. But their minds were made dull, for to this day the same veil remains. When the old covenant is read, it has not been removed, because only in Christ is it taken away. Even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil covers their hearts. But whenever anyone turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we, who with unveiled faces all reflect the Lord's glory, are being transformed into his likeness, with ever-increasing glory, which comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. Rather, we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. So, in our text today, Paul is talking to the church in Corinth, and he brings up Moses. And he brings up Moses wearing a veil after having been in the presence of God. If you go back to Exodus, you remember this story about Moses. He went up Mount Sinai, and he spent a few days up there talking to God about some things, making a list. <laughs> of things that uh, were important for the people of God to know. In the meantime, Aaron and everybody started melting down gold and they built a, a calf. And so Moses, he came down with the tablets. And uh, if you remember, Chuck Heston, you know, got all mad about the golden calf and threw the Ten Commandments down and busted them to pieces all over the ground and was frustrated. Anyway, at one point, Moses goes back up the mountain, a chapter later, goes back up the mountain and frustrated, goes to God and basically, I'm par mind you, I'm paraphrasing, but you know what, I don't think this is going to work out, God. <laughs> I don't think this is going to work. Uh, these people, they're they're terrible, and God pretty much agrees. I agree with you. They're stiff-necked. They're they're rebellious. Uh, however, I'm their God. They're my people. And Moses basically said, "Look, if I if you don't if you don't really nail this down, if I can't be certain that you are going to be with me in this, I don't want to be involved because I'm about tired of these folks. But if you if you promise you're going to come with, there's a little bit. Of, I don't know why Moses is doubting." that God is going to really stick it out. But he basically said, look, I, you know, give me some kind of sign that you are with me in this, that we are working, that we are going to go through this together no matter what. And God says, that's fine, I'll give you a sign. I'm going, all of my glory will pass 
before you, although you can't really look at me squarely, so I'm going to put my hand over your thing. They do this whole thing. And all of God's glory was to pass in front of Moses. And Moses says, all right, I'll take that. <laughs> and so, uh, and then, and then he was, he was going to see the glory of God from the back. And, and God would go on about his business. So they do this. The glory, all the glory of God passes before Moses. And uh, Moses uh, catches a glimpse of God as God retreats. And then they make a brand new set of the Ten Commandments. Uh, they chisel out some some stone, and Moses uh, writes a, chisels out the Ten Commandments, and he takes them down, and he keeps this one uh, for the the people of God, and the covenant is renewed. But when he comes down from the mountain, he didn't realize, but his face glowed with the glory of God, having been in the presence of God, his face. Glowed. And Chuck Heston, his hair went gray. Remember that? And after being up there, but in the Ten Commandments on TV. But, but in this instance, Moses' face glowed, and it freaked everyone out. <laughs> everyone was scared at this, his glowing face. What, you know? And everyone kind of withdrew from him and, and shied away from. Him. And so Moses, not wanting to freak everyone out, wore a veil. Now they're going to show you this on TV. I bet you didn't know that. Moses wore a veil all the time. Except when he went to be in the presence of God. When he removed the veil and again received the glory of God. Uh, and then put it back over his face so that it freaked everyone out <laughs> with his glowing face. Paul tells us, no, no, I think the reason, this is what Paul is saying, I think the reason Moses covered his face was because that glow faded over time. And he veiled his face. Because when he, because when he talked to the people after talking to God, he revealed his face and then he covered it back up. He's, he, Paul thinks... No, he covered his face because that glow faded over time. And it was only by going back into the presence of God that the, the glow was renewed. It's kind of like those uh, you know, glow-in-the-dark stickers we used to have when we were kids, right? That you got to turn the light on for a while for them to get charged up. Kind of that same idea here. But Paul insists that Moses was hiding the fact that his glow began to fade over time. And Paul says, even now, there is a veil on people's face. And they fail to see that the message that Jesus has brought to the world is one that has point, is pointing us to what God intended the world to be like all along. And people have veiled their faces away from it. That's Paul's message to the church at Corinth. But I was intrigued by this idea of veils over our face. And the notion that what this veil does is hides the lack of glow. 
perhaps, on our face. We come so often with our veil. Church is a great uh, contributor to this tendency, right? I, can I be honest here? Church kind of breeds hypocrisy in itself. You're right. We, we kind of created a structure where you automatically feel a little inadequate when you walk in the door, right? And, and, and you come in and, and you kind of think, here I am in church, everyone's looking at me, uh, you know, they know that I'm not as holy as everybody else. Maybe I could be a little more holy, you know, if I was just a little bit more holy, things would be, you know, things would be a little bit better, and I don't, hopefully they don't know what's really going on, and I don't even know if I believe in all this crud Curtis is saying, but I, I don't want people to know that, right? And so we have this lackluster faith, and you feel like everybody can see it, so you overcompensate by straightening, you know, by looking good and dust yourself off, and you try and look great, and we put our veil on so that people cannot see that lackluster faith or that, that thing that has caused the glow of God's glory to fade over time. We, we come with our veiled faces. The problem with our veils is that they become a barrier not only between ourselves and other people. That, that allows us to, to put distance between ourselves and others by presenting a a false self, if you will. Not a, not a, I mean, I don't want to call you liars. It's not like that, where we're trying to be deceitful. It's just we don't want, we don't want people to see our, our fading glow. Right? We don't want people to see how faded our glow has become. But the other problem with these veils is that it really becomes a barrier between ourselves and God as well. We begin to, to hope that God can't see how much our glow has faded. We don't want God to know that our glory has waned a little bit, that our faith has faltered, that we struggle. And so we speak to God in pious tones. The problem with our veil is then God becomes kind of like Santa Claus. Right? We, we go ahead and go to God with the things we need, we want, really. <laughs> and we, you know, maybe we sit on God's lap and we say, well, this is what I would really like. But we really don't expect it. We really don't expect it. We're surprised when we get it. Right? And uh, we don't really have an ongoing relationship with Santa. It's just kind of this figure, this mythological figure we roll out around Christmas. We don't have an ongoing relationship, a deep and meaningful relationship with Santa. And when we have our veils on, kind of like that with God too. It's hard to have a deep and abiding, intimate relationship with God when we come at God with a veiled face. I can tell you this, in addition to coming between ourselves and God, it really, it really comes between uh, the world and the kingdom of God in a very real way. Because it paints a funny picture 
of what God is really like. And what I mean by that is, when we refuse to acknowledge that even in the midst of our struggle to be faithful, that we find ourselves floundering, that we find ourselves faced with real human problems that are that we struggle to allow our faith to be a part of. When we try to hide our humanity, when we try to hide our shortcomings and our foibles, when we try to hide who we really are in faith, the world is left with a holier-than-thou version of what the kingdom of God looks like. And you and I know from practical experience that the kingdom of God is a messy place. Amen? Faith is messy. It's hard. It's something you have to wrestle with and work for and fight for. It's something that gets challenged not only by people out there, but mostly in here. Amen? It is something we have to really look for, not just once, not just twice, but almost every day, we've got to find ourselves once more going, what is there to have faith in today? It is that ongoing struggle. But here is my faith. And the truth that Moses didn't understand, and perhaps Paul was trying to allude to, is that God's glory is shown most vividly in our humanity. Amen? God's glory is shown most vividly in our humanity, in our struggles, in our fights, in our desire to be that which we aren't yet, and our heartfelt good effort old college try to get there. Faith is the journey. It's not even necessarily the de destination we make, but it, but it is the, the testing and the firing that we go through as we, as we struggle, as we come into conflict. But I can tell you this, if your faith is not challenged, if, it's, if you wake up every day feeling like, man, God just loves me so much and I can just I can just tell if you have not had those days where you wake up and go, really? This is it? And, and you know, kind of shook a fist at God. If you have not had those, then you are not getting out enough. <laughs> you know, you need to get out there. Uh, because you know, Luther said, Soul, sin boldly. And I think what Luther meant was not to get out there and sin, but to, to put your faith at risk by taking risks, by getting out there, by testing it, by using it, by being the person God created you to be and falling on your ass every once in a while. It, amen. Go ahead. You can amen it. So, <laughs> there is, it is a struggle. And in that struggle, the glory of God shines brightly. If we could do it all easily, if we could do it all on our own strength, if we didn't need to fall to our knees and cry out, Oh God, I can't do it without you, then what would we need? 
God. We wouldn't need Jesus. God's glory is shown in our weakness. That's what Paul is getting at. In fact, said so later on in the same letter. God's glory is shown in our weakness. A few years ago, and I don't remember what year it is, but there's a, there's a movie coming out. It's got me thinking about this. But there's a movie coming out called The Letters about Mother Teresa. Is there anyone better in this world than Mother Teresa? I don't think so. But if you remember, a few years ago, there was this controversy around that for years, like for 50 years, Mother Teresa had this giant faith crisis going on. And she wrote letter after letter after letter to her confessor, a very close priest who was a friend of hers, who was her confessor, talking about her lack of faith, how she fails to feel the presence of God anymore and fails to experience Jesus in the Eucharist anymore and feels dead inside and wondered why God had abandoned her and prayed and prayed and prayed for faith and strength and begged the Vatican to let her go from her duties to which they said no <laughs> but and she continued on in faith I, and she did not want these letters released she asked her friend so I feel a little weird about it I gotta say she asked her friend her confessor to burn them and instead he published them and I believe he published them because he, like me, felt that it was in this struggle that Mother Teresa went through, through most of her life, it was in that struggle that God's glory shone so bright, that she, that she struggled with faith. Her, what I really want to say about that is I think she struggled she had faith crises because she had an active faith that went out there and tried to do something to change the world. It was because she faced the dying and the disenfranchised and the weakest among us in the streets of Calcutta that caused her to wonder about God. And believe me, if we got out there and looked at the world square in the face, we'd have a faith crisis as well. I also would say that had more people been joining Mother Teresa in this effort to end hopelessness in the world, her faith may have been renewed. But that's, a, that's a side note. Suffice it to say that her struggle with faith, her wrestling through it all in the midst of begging for God's signs, in the midst of looking for God's presence. She pressed forward. She stuck with her commitment to God. And, and she never faltered in her desire for other people to experience faith 
to serve God through serving other people. And to me, to me, this represents a faith. That even though she didn't feel it at that moment, her faith was that it was there. That even though she was not experiencing in her life the presence of God, I never saw in these letters that she doubted that God was there. She just somehow felt inadequate. And that the glory of God perhaps did not shine enough in her life. And the real thing, I, the reason I brought that up is how different it might have been if she had felt she could share that vulnerability. When these letters came out, the sisters around her, her organization that she built up since 1948, that organization, all the people in her leadership circle were, were dumbfounded. You are kidding. They didn't believe it. They thought it was forgery or something. They didn't believe it because she presented a veil. She presented someone and she spoke out constantly about God's providence and how God was at work and everyone everyone was perplexed at this double life that she had going on within herself. How different it might have been for her. She'd have been able to sit around the table and say, sisters, I'm hurting so much. And I just don't feel God's presence anymore. Pray for me. Help me. Who of us could get through it alone? And it breaks my heart that she felt like she had to go through it alone. And it's only when we are able and willing to pull the veil back that the glory of God truly shows not only in our face but in the in the relationships we have with each other and with the world around us is my prayer today that as we continue in our faith journey as we can that you come into places where that faith is tested that you allow yourself to have an active and vibrant faith that must be struggled for in the face of this hurt and broken world we live in. And that in the midst of that faith crisis that you allow yourself to be loved by a community, this community. Allow yourself to be vulnerable and to be who you are. Because even though you feel like a caterpillar, God sees a butterfly. You know what? Most of the time I see a butterfly too when I look at you. <laughs> and others will as well. And will help you see the butterfly. Let us pray. Loving God, you have called us to be faithful. You have called us to be vulnerable. 
You have called us to open ourselves up to who you are, and you have called us to be faithful even in times of difficulty. But we can only do that if we're honest with ourselves and if we are willing to remove the veil that hides our shortcomings and our our not-so-glowy faces. Help us to have a real, honest, heartfelt, deep, tested, faithful relationship with you. In the precious and powerful name of Christ, we pray. Let us prepare our hearts for communion by singing our communion hymn. And as we do, uh, I want to...